Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. This episode goes beyond I told the truth to a more difficult place. Being honest with yourself, facing your fears and coming into the world with all your honest hopes and insecurities. Brad Blanton does exactly that. He curses, he calls you out, he's been documented farting unashamedly in front of reporters mid-interview, and to him, he's just being honest. He spent the past 30 years as a psychiatrist and leader of the Radical Honesty Movement and wrote a best-selling book by that name. And I have to tell you, he is absolutely hilarious. And I gave Brad full permission to tear me apart in this interview. And we start with a topic that I was facing in terms of honesty, and I know many other people are, uh, around dating and insecurities around dating. And a few notes on this episode. Um, Though I talk about my experience as a cisgendered heterosexual male, I also want to acknowledge all gender and sexuality expressions and not speak on behalf of any group or claim that I or Brad have the right approach to any of this. Second, in the spirit of honesty, I'm leaving this episode raw and unedited so you can get all the fumbles, awkward moments, etc. And third, I really hope that I can still get a date after this episode goes live. So here's to honesty, cheers to honesty, and uh, let's have some fun. Hey, everybody. I have to be really honest with you. This has been an interview that I have been excited about and simultaneously scared to have for a while. It's with Brad Blanton. He is the founder of the Radical Honesty Movement and has a book by the name. And he pushes people to really understand and be their deep selves and be unashamedly themselves in the world without... um, lying as he said so we're going to dive into what it means to be honest what the skill of honesty looks like and how we can uncover some of the lies we may not even realize that we're making as we go about our days so brad thanks so much for coming on the show i've been really excited you're welcome glad to be here so the first question i have i'd be interested in your opinion throughout the past couple years there's been something I've been struggling with. I've, I've met a lot of women who I'm attracted to, but for some reason, I feel really shy in sharing how I honestly feel with them. And I take a step back and realize that there's only good that can come from this. I can, you know, we can have a good connection or uh, it won't work out. But if anything, you know, it's, it's all positive. Everybody moves on. Um, but I'm still shy. Why am I having trouble sharing this? What's going on in me? Well, I don't know. I'm not much interested in the questions that have to do with why. I'm interested in how. So how you're doing it is that you're telling me what you could be telling them. Right now, you just talked to me fairly honestly about being shy. So that's the first topic of conversation you need to have with a woman. 
is about how you feel nervous and a little bit shy about speaking to her. And that you've had the, the, the problem before with other women. And that you basically are a little bit intimidated from the beginning of the conversation. So you need to say to her what you just said to me. Aren't I trying to leave a, a good impression, though? Well, if you're a liar, you're trying to make a good impression, right? That's right, and so that's what you're doing. So you're, you have an agenda behind the agenda of what you're saying. So if you just change the agenda to being honest about what's going on right now, what you notice in your body right now, and what you notice about her right now, and what you notice going through your mind right now, that basically that's what honesty is. Radical honesty means you basically report what you notice. So in the whole awareness continuum, all you can possibly be aware of can be divided easily into three parts. You can notice what's going on right now outside of you. You can notice what's going on right now within the confines of your own skin. And you can notice what's going through your mind right now. And that's all. There ain't no more. So I call it inside, outside, upside down. What's the upside down? That's that's what's going through your mind. What's going through your mind is almost all bullshit. <laughs> what do you mean by that? I, I mean... Basically, you have a lot of faith in your mind. I have no faith in any mind, including my own. So having faith in your mind is a terrible mistake because your mind is just loaded with lies. But So I'm thinking back to my situation and... Yeah. I, if I had to guess why I am shy, I had a tough breakup that hurt for a while. But your theory, your theory about why you're shy is just going to be more bullshit. So let's interrupt at the beginning. <laughs> but isn't isn't it real if if I'm experiencing it? And well, you can tell her you can tell her your memory of the tough breakup and say that it, that you're a little bit uh, wary about having that happen again. Because that's what's going through your mind right now. But if you tell it with the agenda, or you don't tell it with the agenda of making making sure you don't make a bad impression, then you need to confess that. I want to make a good impression on you because I think you're pretty and I want to touch you. Or something like that. <laughs> the, the thing is that if you pay attention to what you're actually aware of and you report it, you say, I notice my heartbeat is more rapid than usual. I notice I'm thinking it's more rapid than usual and that I hope you, I'm imagining I want you to like me. You start telling what's going through your mind. You start telling what you notice in your body and you start saying what you notice about her. If you actually do that, then whatever she says back, you will be able to notice that and then keep on that way. But instead of having a hidden agenda, your front agenda is out there as as much in front as you can. That's fascinating. I never thought of it as a hidden agenda. If I, you know, maybe trying to make a first impression is a hidden agenda. <laughs> because if you're, if you're trying, that's different than just being real. Yeah, that's right. You've got some kind of, everybody is used to having a conversation where you presume that each other have some kind of agenda and you're trying to figure out what the other person's agenda is. 
But if you start saying, you know, I imagine my agenda is such and such, and you report it right out in front, then the person doesn't have to worry so much about that. They either like it or they don't like it. I'm just saying you take the risk of describing what you notice. That's what's called radical honesty. What's interesting is that even in this conversation, I feel like I'm being brought to new levels of awareness because I I had thought that what was going through my mind was that I was shy and insecure and that that was being, and, and that I was trying to make a good impression. And then I was brought to the level of awareness that I am shy and insecure. And then I was brought to the level of awareness that I could speak to that I was shy and insecure. And it's it's almost like, by being honest in one thing, it helps you get to more deeper levels of honesty, if that makes sense. It does. What happens is what's deeper is actually more immediate, and it's a little more shallow at the same time, in the sense that your, your assessment of yourself, that you're shy and insecure, is made by your mind. And the, one of the things I want you to hold as a possible truth is that your mind is a very unreliable instrument. But don't we use it to create things, to think through things? How is it useful and how is it not useful? Well, mostly it's not useful because it's a bullshit generating machine. <laughs> you, you think that your memories are accurate. They aren't. They're distorted. You, your memory of that breakup is already a retold story inside your own mind. You've told yourself over and over again. You've explained it away, and you've explained it to other people, and, and you've explained it to yourself. And it's all these explanations are basically uh, your mind having an agenda of being right and not being wrong, and getting what you want by conning people into thinking that you're a good guy. <laughs> you've been taught in the culture that you grew up in, that who you are is your reputation. You're not that the grades you make are who you are. You, who you are is the grades you make, you're what the teacher thinks of you, then you're what your peers think of you, and then you're what someone thinks of you at work and how successful you are. You think that who you are is your reputation. That is a mistake. Who you are is not your reputation. Who you are is a guy sitting in front of a computer screen looking at it, and, and having certain sensations in your body, who you are is this being in the moment right now. If that's your primary identity, your reputation is entirely secondary. So that what counts is your presence. And what counts to your presence with a woman is that she can actually be with you, not with your con job about you trying to convince her you're a good guy by telling her various things about your reputation. <laughs> so so uh, one of the reasons that people fall in love a lot, when they do, I do an eight-day long workshop with 16 people at a time come, and for eight days we're together. At the beginning we make these agreements, and the first one is everybody agrees to tell the truth for that eight days, every single, eight, every single day to tell the truth. And then what happens over the course of a lot of work and conversation, people are honest with each other, and by the end of the workshop, everybody falls in love with everybody else. What do you mean by that? 
they honor each other's being. They just love each other. Just become the fact that it's hilariously funny. It's really, really funny when people start telling the truth. They tell the truth about things that have hurt them and they really cry. And they get angry and they really get angry. And they experience the tears and they experience the grief and they experience the anger. And they also experience the joy that comes when you've not run away from it by coming up with some rationalization in your mind or disappearing or withdrawing, staying with the person, getting mad, getting over it. And then after, after it doesn't take but about a minute or two to get over being really mad. It doesn't take but two or three minutes to get over being hurt. You get over it by being willing to be with it and experience it and not explain it. Just be with it. And so people learn how to be with themselves and with each other rather than to be in their minds generating bullshit, which is the way we've been taught in our culture, is the way to live. So I'd imagine for people in this seminar, as well as in the example of me meeting someone who I'm attracted to for the first time, it's scary to think that my first, the first things that will come out of my mouth is, I feel a little, I'm, I think you're really cool. I feel a little uncomfortable because, you know, I, I'm shy, but you seem really great and I'd like to get to know you and, and see where things go. Um, that's kind of scary. What am I missing? Well, it's a little too nice. You know, if I was a woman, I wouldn't be all that impressed with it because you're being too much of a nice guy. You get two or three apologies in it already as though your existence needed to be apologized for. <laughs> <laughs> A little more honest would be, I'm scared to talk to you. I imagine I'm going to run you off or something because I'm not. I'm going to just tell you what I see, what I think, what I feel right now in the moment. And then you give her the option to say something back. Then you start interacting with what she says rather than just coming from your mental agenda. Mm -hmm. What you need to be delivered from is your mental agenda that's unconscious. Mm Mm-hmm become more conscious with it, and she does too, both of you can have a hell of a conversation. She might say, yeah, you know, I do this all the time myself. I'm always like trying to put on my best face in order to make an impression so I can stay in control and manage the situation and not have to submit to some other asshole's control. (laughs) Yeah. Then you all be off to a great conversation, and that conversation is what counts. The way you get with people is by speaking and listening. Mm-hmm. What do you find are good ways to cut through small talk? Well, I don't know. That that I would say that that is to just give it up. If someone says, "Well, you know, what what would you consider to be small talk? Do you think it's a good day or a bad day? Is it who uh, hotter today than usual or?" Uh, or you can say, I don't know, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I, I often don't care for those conversations, but I don't want to, I don't want to turn someone away or give them, give them, um, I, gu- I guess I'm trying to manage my, uh, my perception, but I'd I'd say something yeah, else. Actually, I think the thing is, you were raised by two clinical psychologists. You're bound to have a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> Here, l- l- let me give another example. So, there's, um, you know, something popular in the Bay Area is is polyamory, 
I'm not I'm not endorsing it or anything, but I, I remember there was a, a one friend gave another friend a tip about being in a polyamorous relation dating and wanting to be in a polyamorous relationship. And he was saying that when you're meeting people, if you lead by saying you're in a polyamorous relationship, um it might turn people away. But instead of just like going into the relationship, just being yourself, testing things out, not even testing things out, but just, you know, seeing how you feel with the person and then sharing, you know, your relationship aspect. Because in the beginning, it's not really even that relevant. You're just trying to get to know each other. You don't know if you want to be in a relationship. Like, like it's not like I'm going to meet someone for the first time and be like, hey, here's my baggage. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the honest truth. Um, why not? That's a good question. I mean, if, if I met someone and said, I've been through depression, I'm pretty anxious, but I'm also like a really excited person. Um, that's just kind of scary to other people. I would think, especially if it's going to be in a dating context and it's the truth. It's not something I think about on a... It's not the truth. It's something you think about. It's not the truth. (laughs) It's bullshit in your mind. It's basically you being a nice guy to try to get over on somebody. What do you mean, nice guy? You're just too nice a guy. You're too nice a guy. Who could be... Doesn't everybody want to be a nice guy? What do you mean, too nice a guy? (laughs) That's like like one of my goals in life, is to to bring people joy. What? You're worried about scaring her or shocking her or running her away or not making a good impression. So you want to grade what you say and want to say nothing too shocking at the beginning and release the information in small bits and mostly become more acceptable. That's you right. want to stay in control. So just start out with every relationship with every woman for a week now. Every woman you meet, go meet four or five new women and say, I'm a control freak. That's your first thing that you want to say. <laughs> I'm a manipulative control freak. I want to fuck a whole lot of women, so I call it a polyamorous relationship. (laughs) How about you? And then see what she says. (laughs) So how old are you? Yeah, uh, I'm um, 24. Okay. So... Basically, you, like most 24-year-olds, are like interested in sex with a lot of different women. A lot of women that you meet, you'd like to have sex with, right? Yeah. Okay. So, just say, that's, who, that's what you're like. You want to have sex with everything that moves. If it moves, fondle it. That's your... That's used to be a saying among you. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, if you say that, it'll be a little embarrassing, won't it? Mm-hmm. And what does embarrassment feel like? It's just warmth in your face and a little bit of holding in your chest and a kind of like a slight smile and just sort of an energy there. It's not unbearable. It's just an energy. It's just a bunch of sensations. So I would like for you to embarrass yourself constantly because the more you're familiar with and willing to be embarrassed, the less hold it has on you and the less embarrassed you become. Because when you experience an experience, it comes and goes. But when you resist experiencing it by trying to figure it out, it persists. So you're the cause of your constant embarrassment. 
and it stays constant because you're not willing to experience it. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say, well, I want you to see how you how many times you can embarrass yourself in a day and get a lot of cheap thrills out of it. Just every time you feel warmth going up through here, you look in the mirror, you see your face is red. <laughs> hey, good, I got some really good embarrassment today. And look forward to it as a kind of like a quasi-sexual experience. <laughs> <laughs> you really like the experience of being embarrassed. That'll go really, that'll really help you in relationships with the, with a lot of women after the first four or five you run off. <laughs> It'll be a great benefit to you. What do you say to people who are afraid of feeling that emotion or pursuing that emotion? or afraid of facing their own truths? Well, it's not an emotion and truth. It's just a bunch of sensations. People think that they're, that emotions, explanations about emotions are, are complex and difficult, but they're not. They're basically a category for a set of sensations. Mm -hmm. And so the deeper level is to go to the level of sensation in your body rather than to the level of interpretation of your mind. That's what I keep talking to you about. Yeah. Does it seem like I'm not seeing that or not embodying that? Well, every time I interrupt your mind, you seem to go back to that some sensation, then you go back to another mental agenda. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to figure things out. You're very interested in figuring things out. And that's perfectly okay. It's just that you had to realize that the instrument you're using to figure things out with is not very reliable. Mm -hmm. You have a mind. So therefore you're not trustworthy. <laughs> and the more the more sensational you can be, the more trustworthy you will be. But I'm working on making a bumper sticker saying life is just sensational when life is just sensational. And sensational, you mean you're just ex experiencing what you're experiencing and there's no sort of processing or codifying. Experiencing it is processing. Codifying it is avoiding processing. Your mind is to keep you from having an experience, whereas your experience at the level of sensation is there. The process is in willingness to experience the experience. Because when you experience an experience, it comes and goes. Hmm. And when you categorize an experience, it persists because you're resisting it by figuring it out. Your mind is mostly an instrument of resistance of the truth. So in this case of me, I'm pretty resistant, <laughs> it seems. Or I'm just getting from this conversation. And again, I'm codifying, I know. But for, 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 for someone like me, what, what are, what's my personal, personal, what's my personal development plan to cut again, through? Oh, instead of saying someone like me, just say for me. Because you're removing it to another level of abstraction when you say someone like me. Yeah. So, so if you say, how do I interrupt? 
being so nerdy. <laughs> With hey. Most. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I, I think that's a good way. How do, how do I interrupt the the control freakness of? I don't. I wouldn't say that, but yeah. How, sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I like the question. What is it? Say it clearly. How do I? interrupt the sort of incessant need to uh, understand things and control things and um, how do I break out of the habit of being in my mind and get into a habit of really just talking about sensations and, and what's on my mind in the present moment and being real instead of trying to guard against how I'm feeling. How, how, do, how do I get into a habit of being like, oh, I'm not really interested in the weather and the this, you know. <laughs> I'm not interested in the weather and talking about if my day was good or not, you know. I'm more interested in this. And how do I get into a habit of moving more towards just not even thinking about or or thinking about like, Oh man, I'm going to be like anxious talking to this person. And like, Oh, I like this person. Should I send this text? What should, should I word it this way or this? Like, how do I just break out of the habit of that into one where it's just like, okay, like I'm just going to like let what's on my mind off. Okay. We, first of all, you can't, you can't be done. You want you, the whole rest of your life. Your mind will constantly keep going. If you try to stop your mind, it speeds up. So one of the things that you can learn through meditation and through yoga and through honest conversation with other people and through presence to your experience of being in your body, what you learn from that is not to stop your mind, but to not pay much attention to it in terms of its validity. Your mind will continue to generate hypotheses about what needs to be done and what kind of impression you're making on stuff. But instead of keeping them secret, you share them. And when you share them, they have less power over you than when they're secret. That's why we call it radical honesty. So, so should I meditate once a day and just kind of that's a good kind of mental conditioning should I journal should I there's nothing you should do that it <laughs> shoulds when the, the question should I is already you're already fucked alright when you ask that question what should I do you're already fucked because you're answering a question that's a setup in your mind even when you take notes about what I'm saying it, it's just a diddly little old game thing. Your your mind is just to play with. Your mind is nothing but a plaything. It is not a serious thing. Your mind is a plaything. If you let your mind generate its theories a mile a minute, and you just say, "Oh well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's there. I go again," and you're detached from its deep meaning is if you're detached somewhat from having to control anything, including your own mind, it's surrendering 
to your own involuntary nervous system rather than to your general mindfuck education. What do you mean by that? <laughs> okay. What do you think? Um... I'm having trouble following. <laughs> if you, I, one of the chapters in one of my books, but I have seven books, by the way. Radical Honesty was just the first of the seven. And uh, basically, I wrote that book and those books after it, after about 25 years of private practice of psychotherapy in Washington, D.C., where I had a lot of people in therapy with me who worked for the government and who a lot of lawyers, I saw more lawyers than any other single profession. I got your attention again there. Sorry, I had to uh, <laughs> my, I had to plug in my uh, charger. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so, the lawyers in D.C. After about all the... Uh, after seeing all these lawyers in therapy and helping a lot of people in, in, who worked for the government, who worked in Washington, D.C., I became automatically an expert in lying because Washington, D.C. is the very heart of lying in the whole world. And that basically I found from my clients that what is the most powerful thing to cure depression and anxiety and conflict with couples and difficulties at work and sexual dysfunction and problems sleeping is the same thing. It has something to do with being willing to be descriptively honest moment to moment. That if you switch from believing your mind to just noticing your mind, that you discover that noticing is much more powerful than thinking. And that noticing is much more important than thinking to the quality of your life, the wonderful connections you make with other people, and with how well you do in the world. It's your power to be able to notice what's going on in your mind that's much more important than what's going on in your mind. There's a chapter called, A Mind is a Terrible Thing, Wasted. <laughs> and what I'm attempting to do with you is to interrupt your mental agendas over and over again to give you some examples about what it might be like to just be present in a conversation. Say what you notice. Eventually, from that, you relax pretty quickly, actually, once you practice it for a while. What I'm noticing now is that I came into this conversation with an agenda <laughs> and that agenda was to interview you and break down honesty and have a real honest conversation and allow you space to, <laughs> to dig your claws into me if I wasn't being honest uh, with the hope of having the audience walk away with some tools or tactics uh, on how they can become more honest and more importantly, just start building habits so they can have these, raw noticing conversations uh -huh. um, so, so how are we doing according to your agenda are we doing okay 
I think we're doing okay. I think that what I'm noticing now is that I feel a little lost because I, I feel that great. I'm stopping the agenda or throwing no, away the agenda. It. Well, that's it. That's what I, the, my message is. Interrupting your agendas is the best thing you can do for yourself. That having your mental agenda interrupted over and over again and being able to just be with, oh, well, that's my agenda and share it out loud and be honest about it. That's exactly the point. That's exactly what I, I hope. I'm so happy that you feel lost because that is the key to success. If you <laughs> really, right, if you can't find your ass with both hands, then you're getting somewhere. That makes a lot of sense to me when you're dealing with people, but with the work work world, you know, I'm I'm planning our retreats for our. Um, our students in the fall, and I'm going to be teaching every week. They are, aren't they people? Yeah. Well, it works with people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, so I, I'd say this. Are you familiar with the lean startup ideology? I know I'm getting into co thoughts and concepts. I know a little bit about it, but I, I, yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. I know what a lean startup is, yeah. So the, the idea is that you build something, then you measure it, and you learn. And you try to do that cycle as fast as you can. So, you know, one school system used to do that, and they'd measure student success over a 10-year period. It was after they left high school and they were in the working world. And they said, why don't we measure student learning on such a shorter iteration? So every week they're, they're trying a new tactic. They're measuring. They're learning. They're going from it. They're, they're like... But each of those is like a one-week agenda that then you pause and notice at the end and start over. Another agenda, you pause and you notice at the end. So it, it, it seems like you should always be on an agenda. Or like when you finish an agenda, <laughs> like, am I, Brad, am I just going to like, sorry, what'd you say? You always will be. There's not anything you can do about that. The thing is, it's how, how significantly attached to doing it the right way you are. You have a certain moralism about accomplishing your agenda. It's a waste of time. It's not, you know, it, there's this antidote mantra I'll give you. I'd like you to recite this for about a year and see what happens. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Hmm. Anything worth <laughs> doing is worth doing poorly. Right. Perfectionism is the very heart of neurosis. So that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. I mean, okay, give it a shot. Maybe you'll fail. Fine. Failure is the best way to learn there is in the world. Mm -hmm. And being right in advance is not very important. It's not as important as you've been taught by the whole culture you grew up in. I absolutely relate to that because when I think about that first example of being shy and being uncomfortable to share my feelings, that sort of was a neurosis <laughs> yeah it was kind of just a stress and an unnecessary stress in my head that that kind of debilitated me and any potential for the relationship where the alternative to saying stuff and just saying what's on my mind at least gives the situation some resolve and i don't have to be thinking and worrying about stuff in my own head because uh. i just let it out and now i move on Right, you still think and worry, you just do it out loud. And everybody says, bah, you're a worry wart. You say, well, better a worry wart than a control freak. 
Yeah. Uh, the thing is that you're, I think you, I like the way you laugh and I like the way that you, uh, I, I allow me to interrupt your agendas and I appreciate you for this conversation because I think that as you learn, you share it pretty well. So you're an example of interrupting your own mind a little bit and of actually listening out here. You hear me every now and then and, uh, I, I like it. <laughs> and I, women will like it too. The thing is, the best pickup line is to not have any pickup line. So I think you're pretty, and I don't know what to say. <laughs> Just like it. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, it's endearing. It's endearing because it's real. Yeah. I'm really loving this conversation too. It almost feels a little therapeutic. Um, and. I really do want to notice things more and I want to get better at it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I'm not going to be talking to you for an hour a week for the rest of <laughs> my life. What sort be of talking to other people for hours a week and the therapy that really counts is the therapy that happens between people in honest conversations. Therapy with a therapist is only a relative value. What's of great value is that you're in a therapeutic relationship daily in your life because the way that you speak with people and be with people is nourishing to you and to them. And what's nourishing is honesty, openness, a kind of being a dummy, being unsophisticated. It's like, you know, (laughs) I don't actually teach people to get smarter. I teach them to get dumber. And the dumber you can get, the better off you are. We actually invented a chant about 10 years ago that leads to enlightenment within three minutes without faith. <laughs> can you really make that promise? <laughs> yeah, this is it. You do this chant. <laughs> I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, you can try it and okay. see. With the chant that always leads to enlightenment without fail, then I usually charge 2500 bucks for this. I'm giving it to you for free. <laughs> The chant is, duh. <laughs> and if you slobber, you get there in two and a half minutes. So you slobber. Duh. <laughs> and when you get just dumber than a stick, you just dumber than a stick, and you look at somebody like that, and you see what's going on. You cannot help but connect, and they with you, and you just immediately fall in love and bliss, and everything's wonderful. <laughs> If you want to do a meditation every day, do that for three minutes. Just go, <laughs> Do that before you go out on a date with that beautiful woman. You'll be dumb enough. She'll just think you're great because you won't be working on your reputation. What's interesting, so, ah, shoot, I just lost my train of thought. But I guess that's good. <laughs> that's kind of the whole point, right? <laughs> so I'm curious um, I'm curious if you think there are contexts where it would be inappropriate to share how you're honestly feeling for example yes I don't believe that you should be honest for moral reasons Um, my radical honesty is for personal relationships if you have and Frank in the attic and a Nazi knocks on the door and says, is there any Jews in the house? Lie. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, I'm not talking about moral righteousness, honesty. I'm talking about honesty for personal, contactful, Mindless, yeah. relations. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I, I could imagine, like, if I'm at a restaurant and you know I wanted to hit on a waiter or a waitress, like that, that might be kind of inappropriate. It's like they're at work. That's not. That's not the the best context and it's, it's kind of inappropriate or, or, you know, if I was meeting with a potential client for something, it's, it's like that. So how, how do you think about that sort of self-restraint and the stress it could play on people if they're kind of holding back those feelings and thoughts? Well, when you're talking to strangers, a brand new person, stuff like that, you can have some polite inhibition <coughs> and you can operate according to agenda, but, this is for personal relationships. This is for relationships that have to do with you being present to your experience of being present to another person. Mm. I see. And, because and, in, in the work environment, there always is the agenda. You're, you're, you're trying to accomplish this goal. You're trying to accomplish this goal. That's right. So you got to abide by that goal. Well, there's a whole lot better. You have a lot more fun working with people you love than you do with people that you're just playing like you're officially agendized with. Yeah. I mean by that, if you are working with friends, you'll have a hell of a lot more fun at work. Mm-hmm. If you're just working in some kind of formal relationship, you might as well get a pink slip. It would be more valuable than a degree. <laughs> yeah. if, if you're 24 years old and you don't have a pink slip yet, go out and get one because it's better than a if you haven't been fired, you haven't lived. <laughs> so I think, you know, being successful to such a degree that you don't ever lose a job is just shameful. <laughs> so there ought to be some evidence of you standing up and having trouble with some manager or, or uh, some rich person making you spend your energy to please them. So this brings up another example I'd be curious to hear your opinion about. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to frame it. So there's, been, there's times where I've had an argument with a friend, let's say, and I haven't... I felt like so hot and kind of heated in the moment and I've thought, okay, it might be better to not share what I'm thinking, go back, go home, process things, just allow myself to really realize what's going on because I don't want to say anything hurtful for him. He, he yeah, that's, to... that's a conventional way to think. I think it doesn't work with the shit. You well, already know that it doesn't. Why? Why doesn't it? Because it's lying. Basically, it's just bullshit. You say, I don't like what you just said. It makes me mad. I resent you for saying it. And then they say, well, fuck you. And you say, well, fuck you. And then you're engaged, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can keep on, and then you'll get over it. But you're not going to get over it by going home and yeah. thinking about it. You're going to get into it worse. And by the time you talk to them again, everything you have to say about it will be bullshit. Do you think so that's- I don't recommend politeness. I recommend that you be impolite. I recommend that you offend people. And I recommend that you hurt people's feelings. And that you stick with them when you do it. You don't offend them and then hit and run. You say you offend them and stay with them while you get over it. 
it doesn't take but 90 seconds and you can get through it. But if you avoid it, it can take 20 years. So basically, your conventional wisdom is bullshit. <laughs> Have some trouble, you know. The thing is, I've been arrested like 25 or 30 times in my life. I was in the civil rights movement. I got shot at. I got bombed. I got beat up with Billy Club. I got thrown in jail and hurt. You know, I, I basically have been in the anti-war movements. I refused to serve in Vietnam. I've had lots of difficulties with authority, and I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> and I recommend it to everybody because basically... Just because some asshole has a billion dollars doesn't mean he's a better than I am, all right? Or you either, or anybody else. And if anybody doesn't like that, they can kiss my ass. And I recommend that, because I've had a hell of a happy life. Really. <laughs> <laughs> what? This is... And I have to say, this conversation is just so refreshing. You know, it's been funny running this podcast and talking to a lot of guests who are really successful, best-selling authors and really, you know, they have their Wikipedia pages and they're, they're tons and hundreds, thousands, millions of followers. And I have been a little hesitant to really push them on topics uh -huh. and for fear of making them feel uncomfortable because uh -huh. they're kind of being really nice coming on the podcast and, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to support them. But, you know, it wasn't until the last interview I had. I don't know if you know Warren Berger. He, he does uh, asking, asking good questions. I know the name and a little bit about what he wrote. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically we, we went back and forth in an attempt to ask questions to make the other person feel vulnerable. And it just felt like the, mo the realest conversation and so raw. And I almost like felt my body just release because it was just like very real good good you know and i'd be curious you know in the at least this is something that comes to mind for me in the example of you're fighting with the person you say f you f you and like and then you sit with them and resolve it there, there's two thoughts i think one thought is that it's good to kind of state your intention and that's kind of a meta thing to say because, you know, I can say F you, F you, like, I really care about you and I want to resolve this. Like that, that line can be so powerful. Just and maybe, maybe this is a tactic. I don't know. This, this seems like a good tactic, but you seem very much against tactics. What do you think about that? If you confess your tactic is no longer a tactic. It's the secrecy of the tactic that's the problem. You say, yeah. um, you know, I, I want to uh, get over being mad at you, and I want you to like me, and I do like you as well as being mad at you. Well, that's fine. Good. Thanks. That's a good gift that you give to me. You're honest about your feelings, and your feelings are often contradictory. You know, you also have love-hate love, relate, love -hate relationships with other people. You just say the love, and you say the hate, and then you stick with each other until you laugh, put your arm on each other, and go get a beer. I mean, basically, <laughs> instead of spending like five years, I should have write a letter about this or texting somebody. Like, you know, texting is a way of avoiding communication more often than not. Hmm. 
And so what, what I recommend is you be right with people and you say what's going on, even when it sounds a little weird. Because you are a little weird. You have a mind. <laughs> <laughs> show me a person with a mind and I'll show you someone that's weird. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean the that's just such a, a a beautiful conversation. Saying I'm angry at you, I also really love you and don't want to be angry at you, but I'm angry at you. I'm also kind of sad. Like it's 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 complicated, but it's real, and it's it's almost like I don't know if you saw the um, the movie Inside Out, the new Disney movie. Uh uh-uh. um, Well, shoot. The point I was going to make is the ending. Um, so if you haven't heard that listeners close your ears for the next 20 seconds, (laughs) but basically it's these different emotions within your head that are, you know, it's a Disney movie, so it's creative. They're all kind of controlling you. And so, you know, joy's controlling you. And then, then embarrassment runs in, knocks over, like pulls the levers and is controlling you. And it's kind of this very linear one controls, one controls, one controls. And then at the end, this, this, this child goes through this really, a tremendously difficult experience of moving away, having to make new friends. She's a kid that, you know, feels all alone. And then at the end, she comes out with a memory that's both joy and sadness. And they're, they're together one thing. And I think being honest is kind of realizing that everything's within you at, at all times. And it's hard to even make a story <laughs> on how you are with someone because there's always everything. Yeah. Amen. I agree. I like that. I'll watch that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'd be curious, though, what you say to people who are afraid that once they open up the can of worms and, and say, I'm angry at you, that it'll get worse or that it won't resolve. Because people will go back to getting into their roles. Well, it will get worse. That's fine. Let it get worse. And that's the way it gets resolved. Because it gets worse, then it gets better. Without you having to control it. Mm-hmm. Both of you are participating in that. See? Mm-hmm. The reason we call it vulnerability is because you don't get to stay in charge. And you pay more attention to the quality of your attention than you do to your mental agenda. And you develop faith in your attention. You develop faith in your capacity to process feeling by being willing to be with sensations. And so you walk into a room. If you feel unself-confident, that's fine. If you feel confident, that's fine. Neither one were particularly important. Because you know you're going to get through there. You'll do okay. Something will happen. You know, you'll either have a great night or fuck it up. So what? <laughs> it's like uh, it's like not having the belief that you have to live up to your own expectations all the time and uh, or that other people have to live up to your expectations all the time you're not in this world to live up to other people's expectations and they're not here to live up to yours and you're not here to live up to your expectations either you have a lot of expectations, just take them with a grain of salt. It's just your mind, and your mind is basically just a bullshit generating machine. (laughs) (laughs) 
if you had to design a one-day intensive radical honesty experience, what would you make people do? Well, I actually have had hundreds of one-day workshops. I just finished a seven-day workshop in Greece. I just got back from last week. I do workshops pretty constantly, and I'm launching an online workshop in November that's called The Playbook for Radical Honesty, How to Get Over Shit and Be Happy. That's the title of my course, How to Get Over Shit and Be Happy. (laughs) (laughs) And it has to do with fundamentally teaching the distinction between noticing and thinking. So the first beginning part of the workshop is an exercise called I Notice and I Imagine, where people take turns saying what they notice about each other than what they imagine. I notice that you have your fingers around that little white wire and that little swollen piece of white wire I imagine is a microphone. I notice that you smiled and I imagine that you are being pleasing (laughs) and so forth. So people take turns, I notice and I imagine. And after about five or ten minutes of that, they start recognizing that the other person has a mind that they got to put up with, just like they have a mind that they have to put up with. And they start laughing at their imaginings about each other. And then the quality of the conversation increases because the focus is on noticing as more important than imagining. And then it goes on from there. Basically, people start talking about the roles they usually play and they say, sometimes I pretend, and then they put, uh, sometimes I pretend like I'm not angry when I am. The other person says, thank you. And they turn to the next person. They say, sometimes I pretend like I'm very interested in the conversation when I'm bored as hell. The person says, thank you. And then you keep on talking about this. And the more and more and more people confess their pretenses, the more other people warm to them. And we appreciate other people's honesty more than their performance. We're all out there trying to perform because we think our performance is who we are. But you're not. Who you are is a being who, among other things, sometimes performs. Hmm. So it becomes less important. Your performance becomes less important. So if you do great, that's really good. You have fine fun with that. If you do miserable, it's terrible and you feel bad about it. But Overall, it's not as though the world depends on it. Your, your exercise <clears throat> kind of reminded me of an exercise that a friend and I do. We, we run a meditation group. Uh-huh. And we do a bunch of different meditations. And then at the very end, we do an exercise where we have people pair up and stare into each other's eyes for three minutes. And there's nothing... It's just so intense and so deep yeah. that yeah. I've found that afterwards we say, um, okay, that's it for the meditation. And then people just talk for 20 minutes. And it you can just see from their expressions that it's so real. Because yeah, yeah. You, you've cut through all the the transactional aspects of the relationships. Yeah. And you're totally, completely present and seeing the person for being just a person, and it kind of cuts through everything. Yeah, yeah, it's a great thing, isn't it? It's really great. 
So what are the conversation topics or questions that people have the hardest time being honest about? Or, or in this conversation, what do you think I have the hardest time being honest about? And you can make me talk about it. <laughs> now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> Good, thanks. Uh, well, I think that you're a fairly honest person, and I like that report about that meditation. I think that probably you liked what you heard about radical honesty because you already know something about it. And I do think that you know as well as I do that you're very interested in your performance. You really like to perform well. You want to do a good job here. You want to do a good job of interviewing people. You want to do a good job of coming up with the right questions. You want to make sure this is a successful interview. <laughs> <laughs> So I've had a hard time fucking it up, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and so uh, there's this thing that your parents can explain to you very thoroughly called performance anxiety. <laughs> and it's mildly there. It has to do with how you hold the microphone and how you make sure things are going right and plug everything in and double check. It's okay. It's handy. It's usable. It's a usable neurosis, all right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would like to see you in a mud wrestling contest where you're supposed to see who can mess up each other's hair the worst or something. <laughs> so, so I would have to reverse your usual performance shtick. So you had to do a bad performance. I think the confusion that would result in that would be very fruitful for me. That, that would work for you. <laughs> I go ahead and get halfway drunk and do a shitty job sometime on an interview. Say, ah, well, what the hell? This interview I did, I was halfway drunk and it was a shitty job. I put it on out there. <laughs> I definitely relate to that. I, 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 I definitely, and it, it kind of bites me in the butt because even editing these podcasts, I'm just like, trying to make sure every single <laughs> long pause is shortened and it's kind of getting in the way from me actually performing because uh -huh. I'm, I'm wasting time on things that aren't essential. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'd be curious, you know, this performance anxiety, it's kind of a double edged sword because, you know, or at least I, I'd like to think, and there goes my mind again, right? That, yeah. It's helping me Sorry. perform and improve the world. Um, yeah. And so do you think I'd be better off getting rid of the performance anxiety? And if I did that, then would I also get rid of the performance? Or maybe I'm just too attached to it. I don't think you can. I don't think you can get rid of it. I think it's fairly useful. You just don't get carried away with it. <laughs> uh -huh. It's. I don't think you can. I don't think you can do anything about it. It's already built. It's there. Sorry, you got yeah. the rest of your life. You'll have a little performance anxiety. It's kind of fun. I can, I like it. I do a lot of workshops and talks and public things. I did this this uh, TED talk in Romania last November, and I worked, 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 and worked on it because I had so many things I wanted to say. And the performance was in. It was okay. Like seventy thousand people have viewed it now. But it was like not as good as I had in mind that I would do because 
I, and I watched it and made a few minor suggestions about edits, which they did a kind of halfway job of. But the thing is, it didn't like blow me away one way or another. It was like, okay, that was okay. It wasn't the greatest TED talk I've ever seen. I've seen a lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and the performance anxiety didn't exactly help, but it didn't hurt too much. It's just that it was there. You know? hmm. If you got so many things you have to make sure you cover, then you're going to absolutely be sure you're going to fuck up and forget one of them or two of them. And uh, and if you go out there and you can casually pick through and say, oh, well, that was wrong. Let's try this again and do like that. Basically, you'll end up with a better performance if it's not a perfect performance. Hmm. And so you have to use the the curse and the blessing of the performance anxiety that you had built into you because it's yours. It's there. The best thing you can do with it is own it. Hmm. And say I'm good. I'm good at being anxious about performance and polishing it up. So I'm a pretty good performer. And now and then, let yourself be a bad performer and be a good bad performer, so you don't end up having that moralism run your life. The quality of your life doesn't depend on your performance. It has to do with the quality of your attention. Hmm. How does honesty relate to? insecurity well uh, the, the I'm a, that's about the I'm, I'm about used up for answering questions so that's about the last one if that's okay with you yeah yeah okay yeah and what uh, the insecurity comes from the judgments of the mind when you have a lot of faith in your expectations for yourself or for other people and you believe that your mind is right that's the cause of most uh, uh, disappointment. You have an appointment that gets dissed. You have an expectation that doesn't get met. And so the idea is to get used to, familiar with, and willing to have instances in which your expectations are not met. And then you say, honestly, you didn't meet my expectations. I resent you for not doing this the way I wanted you to do it. And they say, well, you're a petty asshole. You say, yes, I am. <laughs> and you put your arms around each other and go get a beer. Because basically that quality of sharing is what counts. And uh, the quality of your performance doesn't count as much as that. Awesome. Um, well, thank you, Brad. This has been terrific. And uh, I hope I am coming out of it a more honest person. Did you, did you get a sense that I was lying about anything to you? No, no, just what I said to you, that your performance is on the front of the agenda a lot of the time when you have a, a lot of faith in your mind. I just hope I've helped destroy some of your faith in your own mind. That's what I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. Good, I like it too. Thank you. Great. There. Okay. Bye. Cool. Bye.